He's Dropkick Dingo. And he's DJ Sugarsack. And this is the Insane Clown Podcast. Welcome back, friends. We are an all-insane clown posse podcast, and we are bringing you some fucking fresh shit from way back. We're, we're dipping way back into the depths of the back catalog of the Insane Clown Posse for today's episode. It's only fitting before we get to the largest Joker card release. First, we take care of the Sideshow EPs. Then we get to the Great Malenko, where the gas really started to pick up. I think also before Great Malenko, we do that episode, we should do the Shockumentary episode. Yes. Because that came out before Great Malenko, and that kind of had a big push in the sales, big help in getting, you know, Great Malenko and ICP out nationwide and... Especially when uh, Shockumentary was aired on MTV <laughs> for like, I think it was aired twice before The Great Malenko came out. And that was because Jive had bought paid advertising time that usually cable networks have when their regular schedule was all depleted and they would just sell the rest of the time to advertisers. Yeah, and apparently their record label bought the time and put this documentary on. The only good thing that Jive has done, let's be honest. I'll say this. I grew up on that shit. Yeah, man. It's hard. It's especially hard to believe Like they're coming back from a concert in 1996. It's really just like strange to think about nowadays. Definitely. I had the VHS of this that had Same. like... The Same. Great Malenko slipcover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. And it had... Mine came with the uh, the Riddlebox Joker's card, playing card. Same, same. So, uh, yeah. No, I remember that vividly. And I would watch it a lot. I burnt that fucking tape out. Well, I mean, we've referenced it enough on this show. Yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously, we are fucking... Beyond familiar, although I will say this in researching for those clips that I pulled for the for this show, I found on YouTube the original shockumentary. Oh, wow. So there is on YouTube both the original shockumentary and the version that was on the VHS that we had. Yeah. And I noticed some differences. You know, they don't have the interviews with ICP. No. In the original. And there's a couple additional segments that didn't make the cut on the VHS one. That's true. That's true. There's still a lot of nudity also. (laughs) Well, I think that was going to be part of the plan regardless. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, shockumentary is fun. And that's something we definitely have got to cover before Malenko, just because that really helps hype up Malenko in a way too. Especially since I found the original one and the one that they ended up doing the VHS version of that we grew up on. We can uh, watch both or maybe we watch one and do commentary. I don't know. We'll figure out what we're going to do. You know what I have wanted to cover is the video games. Backyard wrestling? Even before that. Because if you ever played WWF Attitude, their clown paint was available in the customization options. Oh, holy fuck. That's right. The only thing is that it was clown one and clown two, and they just added colors over it. 
So if you want it to be black and white, you had to edit it that way, which makes me think they probably didn't get their permission for that. What, for Clown 1 and Clown 2? <laughs> yeah, for, for the actual patterns. They're like, oh, see, they're colored. That makes it different. Yeah, well, also, I'm pretty sure Joe and Joey probably realized that if they tried to sue them, they'd lose. None of us could fuck with them. And why would you? In terms of like legally, but really, it was nobody also- on their level can fuck with Vince McMahon because <laughs> Vince McMahon's on a different level. He's in the fucking one percent, you know. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I remember back then when they were in the WWF, they would actually advertise the Great Malenko. Yeah, I. Uh, well, wait, isn't that why they quit? Was because. They were supposed to add, advertise it. I think it was because Vince wanted to dictate more about what they do, and they want him to do all this stupid shit, and they weren't with it. Okay, I'm maybe remembering wrong. I'm also looking forward to covering the book Behind the Paint because it's been years since I've read it, and yeah, we're gonna have a heck of a good time covering that one. What really sucks is that. At least way back when, when Borders was still a thing, I could never find a physical copy of it. Like, it's something that you had to either special order or get it from a specific bookstore. Well, now you got to go on eBay for that shit. And cheapest copy I could find was 30 bucks, but yeah, I'll put up the 30 for it. There should be some used bookstores around us that might carry it you never know they might have it but you know that is a lot of searching on our part true but they're not really that far away from each other well maybe as we're getting closer to that because that's going to be after shangri-la yeah yeah we're we're a bit away from that because we got plenty of episodes in the pipe before we get to that uh, by the way, uh, I, I did buy Backyard Wrestling brand new when it first came out, and I was immediately disappointed. I kind of enjoyed that game. It wasn't great, but it was kind of fun. It was more of a prototype than it should have been. It wasn't ready. It was like that Fight Club fighting game. There needed to be a lot more polish on it before they released it. I guess that's true. I don't really remember all that well. I will say I definitely thought that Backyard Wrestling 2 was a huge improvement. Yes. It still got panned by critics, but I mean, what doesn't from ICP? What involving fucking Jay and Shags hasn't? (laughs) Oh, I read this really just fully mean-spirited review of Riddlebox, which read like the person just went in just automatically having a negative opinion of the clowns, and it reflected in everything. Of course. Well, speaking of reviews, I actually saw a positive one for Yum Yum Bedlam from Mr. Mikey Clark. Nice. He said, Here Comes the Carnival was his favorite track. He says it's an absolute banger. Nice. I, you know, I think we both thought it was a pretty great track. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's great to see him, you know, out and supporting and making some noise for the clowns. Of course. I mean, it's not like they had a falling out or anything. It's just he was going through his own shit and he really didn't have the time. And, he, you know, and then after a while, he just lost his passion for it. Yeah, well, you know, it's good that, you know, he's still finding, I don't know, comfort or happiness, contentment, or contentedness, or whatever the fuck the word is. Anyway, since we're on the subject of uh, new shit, I know we both watched uh, Jay's interview with, what the fuck is the name of that channel? No Jumper. 
There we go. No jumper. So uh, we both watched that. It's uh, probably the most recent interview Jay's done. They touched on a lot of subjects. I'll recap from memory what I remember, some notable things. They started on uh, Jay getting out of rehab, which, I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's doing all right. He said he's feeling well. He hates touring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he started talking about that a bit, but before they got there, he mentioned briefly, he touched on um, Shaggy going to, you know, substance abuse counseling and stuff. He had mentioned that they talked about opening a clinic in Detroit. Which is great. Yeah, super interesting to hear him say that, but I think think that's a great idea you know that was that was interesting to hear and then they kind of got into some of the the road stuff it's made pretty clear that at this point he's kind of over life on the road and he said and i think this is a great decision that when they tour um at least on the upcoming tour they're gonna do no more than three shows a week the less the better you know just get to the, the places that you think you'd cover the most ground because you're gonna have people from out of state driving in anyway and they know that well i think you know it's a smart move i'm a big fan of uh metallica and a couple of years back, they restructured the way they tour, where they limit themselves to 50 dates a year. They don't do two shows back to back. So they do one show, night off, one show, and they'll do two weeks on, two weeks off. But they go all over the world. Right, right. But what I'm saying is it's, it's, a, it's a comparison in terms of like, look, we all get older. They had to scale it back. Fucking Jay and Shag's got to scale it back. I think it's a good decision because what it does is it increases the longevity and also it makes it so that every time that us as the fans get to see them, not only does it make it that more special, it means that they're able to guaranteed give a hundred and fucking 50% on stage. Cause he talked about how much he loves being on stage. Anybody who's a performer shares that, you know, they're not going to want to stop performing. It's just that, I understand, man. Tour life is fucking hell. You're living out of a suitcase on a bus. That's got to suck after the novelty of it wears off. I feel like it's probably fun for the first couple days, and then it just gets old fucking fast. Yeah, and you're just waiting to just be done with it. Especially when he was talking about how their performances go, where they're like, they're given so much on stage that they're backstage puking. Both at the same time, sometimes. You and I have both seen him perform. There's not a lost moment on stage. That is true, yes. So there's always movement. There's always Fago. I think that's one of the reasons why they have the Fago breaks. So that they could get in the back, recharge for even if it's only 30 seconds, and then come back out. Hey, that's great. It's it's good all around because you know what? Fago, out of a bottle... It'll cool you down if you're in a mosh pit. (laughs) That's true. That's true. You know how many times I've seen other shows, you know, any other concert that has a mosh pit where bands don't throw fucking liquids at you. All of them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And how much you would fucking kill sometimes to just be sprayed with some water or even some diet soda if it meant it would cool you down, you know? In the vein of performance, they were talking about doing live performance of your raps versus doing it with a backing track, which to me, it's surprising people are out there doing a backing track nowadays. ICP did for a bit. I don't remember ever seeing them do that. What? With like the lyrics with the beat? Yeah. 
Yeah, they they've done that before. Oh, okay. It's, well, it's, I don't the only thing was the only thing was they weren't lip syncing. There's songs that they have instrumentals for, and then stuff they just play, and you could tell they're not lip syncing, especially when it comes to a song that's like off Malenko or Ringmaster because they're not pitched up it's not like it's not like they're trying to play off the album cut as them singing because they're not lip syncing but they would have some songs where the words were still on the song but they would still be rapping to it okay well i don't remember ever seeing that but uh you're welcome now uh what else were they talking about i mean he officially put out the challenge to eminem (laughs) to do a, a a verse battle that would be that would be cool to see, but I doubt it's going to happen. Agreed, but hey, I'd love to see it. Yeah, they. He also mentioned that they're finally getting the uh, admiration and respect, not just from their fan base, but just in general, that they have been deserving for years. Absolutely, and I, I remember. Agree. I remember when there was a certain shock jock DJ that claimed that they were like an underground version of a pop band and i couldn't disagree more with what this person was saying maybe at that time but i do think that like if you look at where we're at culturally and how things have shifted i think a lot of what they did was super avant-garde yeah actually because it was a little too early Because if you look at where the mainstream hip hop scene is at now, a lot of the things that they said back in the day that were like, oh, shit, that that, that's just run of the mill now. And you have, you know, you have a lot of people like coming on stage wearing masks and all this kind of shit and pretty much going the kind of direction that ICP was going at at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of invented it or at least brought it to a bigger level so it made you know it pushed it forward but i also think that like if you look at jekyll brothers i think a few of those tunes could have gotten mainstream play nowadays if they would have if it would have been dropped now with like modern production and everything but obviously the landscape musically is completely shifted and we're getting into a lot of what ifs but to that end i think that's probably a big reason of why nowadays they actually do get the fucking respect that they deserve yeah it it was a lot more ahead of its time back then that's usually how it goes like look at look at something like the 3do if the 3do had come out just two years later it probably would have stood a better chance you know i don't know what you're talking about the 3do the game console from like 1993 Nope. Sorry. All right. Well, some of you out there will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure. Violent J also mentioned his uh, his story songs, Walking Home. Definitely, which I feel like we'll have to cover once the full thing is out. Now, I looked into purchasing one, but the bundle with the CD and the comic book and the backpack and everything is over 100 bucks. so I don't think I'm going to be able to do that right now. Yeah, that's that's a bit of an ask. Hey, it's not that I don't want to support the clowns. It's just, what the fuck am I going to do with a backpack for, for one? I don't have a need for a backpack for any reason. The hat's cool. The comic book's cool. Again, same kind of the same thing with a CD. 
I don't really have a need for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's they're collectors items. Right. That's what right. they are. Yeah. At this point, I can only play those at home. I could digitize them and put them on my phone, but that's more work than it's worth because everything's on fucking Spotify and YouTube. Yeah. You know, CDs are a relic, but that's something he also was touching on. That was a big revenue source for them. And and they have been resourceful in yeah. we're just talking about it. Fucking putting a CD with a comic book and a backpack and a hat and there you go. That's selling a CD. You're yeah. Just selling it with other shit. But at the end of the day, you're still trying to sell a CD. If you're going to sell merch, just sell merch. But I get how it's supposed to be like a collector's edition, which is great. But if it comes with a CD, at least nowadays, that's not really a selling point. Well, I'm just waiting for the like the eight track EP to drop. Because <laughs> you know it will. Yeah. It was the Monday. Well, and, and that's the thing, too. If we're talking about if we're talking about that kind of stuff, there are musical artists out there that sell their releases on archaic hardware and they make at least a little bit of money doing it. Like I've heard I've heard about uh, a couple groups selling their releases on Sega Genesis cartridges. Interesting. I mean, there's definitely money to be made in essentially like obsolete hardware. Yeah. Obsolete's a good word because like vinyls had a resurgence. You know, I feel like if they printed more of their stuff on vinyl, I don't even have a a turntable currently. I did buy my first record, so I'm going to get one soon. But if they put out vinyls, I'd fucking buy them just to get them. Yeah. To make sure I had them ready to go. When, when I got my turntable. And then next, they'd have to go back to tapes. I think they probably do. The tapes that they were selling back then, they had the translucent colored plastic that like every independent act back then had to have. And that was cool. It was much cooler than having a CD because it's like you, you don't just have this tape. You partially have like a work of art. I guess so. I think you're maybe overselling cheap plastic but you know hey hey i'm just trying to get them to think about going down that avenue all right it's not too late and it's not too early and we already know that they're listening yeah absolutely so jay shags guys please press up some vinyls and if you feel like it's some cassettes they'll both sell we'll we'll be customers number one and one respectively for each exactly i'll get some vinyl dingo will get some cassettes especially since i still do have a cassette tape player eventually i would like to have a nice home rig with like a good cd player and a good cassette deck you know i i I believe they call those hi-fis uh sure yeah and a good receiver (laughs) all that stuff right now i just got you know pretty much my phone and my krk rockets and you know some dj equipment I'd like to have a better, better listening rig. We'll we'll get there eventually. I'm trying to remember what else they were talking about in the interview that was interesting. They mentioned a lot of other stuff. I guess the cha-cha slide got viral on TikTok for a bit. Oh yeah, but remember, remember, it's the chop-chop slide. And if you heard something similar to this, fuck that, because we the shit. <laughs> I'm waiting for that to be played at weddings. That probably already has been. <laughs> Now shoot that redneck. (laughs) 
I enjoyed Better. that interview. I would recommend all of you to go watch it because it's probably some of the most open I've seen Jay been on an interview of this nature. It's it's some some deeper personal stuff. He talks a lot about, you know, where he's at now and where they're heading. Check it out. It's on No Jumper. No Jumper. Definitely. That was that was fun. I'm glad uh, to see that, and I'm glad Jay is doing well. Sending best wishes to everybody over at their camp. Hope y'all are doing well. So, Beverly Kills 50187. This is a weird release. It's definitely not a full cooked album. It's discordant and not as fluid as I think they were intending with the oddly structured track sequence. Yeah, and uh, Shaggy seemed like he had nothing prepared all throughout. Although he did come up with a couple great lines that we'll get to. Now, I will say, probably one of my favorite album artworks of theirs. It is really nice. It is really nice. And if you look on the front and the back, it's all hand drawn. And for some reason on the bottom, even for the nationwide release, there's the full address to Psychopathic Records, at least Psychopathic at that time. Yeah, I wouldn't go sending any fan mail there now. This is one I would love to have on vinyl, almost mostly just to see that artwork yeah. in that size would be a fucking treat. Because the detail's great. I mean, we know Shaggy does all the drawing. He's so fucking skilled at that. He really is. And you can really tell that it was designed to be printed on cassette. Oh, definitely. It looks a, a bit wide when it's pushed out to digital. Yeah. And when it was released on CD, the design was just put on with tons of blank space at both sides. Yep. And that's still kind of how it looks. Although it looks like they cut some of it off and widened it. Ugh. I hate I hate when people do that shit. There's a term called aspect ratio. If it doesn't fit in the aspect ratio, it's going to look fucking weird. Normally... For most TV shows, it's 4-3. In the last 10, 15 years, most TV shows have been in 16 by 9. Uh, that makes sense. Because yeah. a lot of uh, wide, wider TVs became more popularized. It used to be 4-3 because TVs used to be more square. If you notice nowadays, at least if you watch movies on a 16 by 9 display, they're going back to the pan and scan because... Movie aspect ratios are larger than TV aspect ratios. They always will be. So now, instead of panning and scanning into 4x3, it's 16x9, which is fine. And you can see more stuff, but it's still jarring. Uh, you still lose a little bit on the top and bottom. Yeah, well, that's not, that's not quite as much, but that is only if they don't pan and scan. If they just put it right onto the screen, that's fine. I could take that because you could still see everything and it's in better detail than it would be on four by three screens. Agreed. We have really gotten off on a nerdy tangent. Okay. Here. All right. There, There is a good reason why we did, because I hate to say it, there's not much to say about this release. Oh, that's not true. I made several, several notes. Okay. 
So if we want to get right into it, technically Beverly kills, but obviously we're going to start with what later gets called Kiss the Clown. Kiss the Clown, yeah. Right. Later repackaged as an individual track, which is a good choice. Good choice. Yeah, it should have been like that from the beginning. I agree. This also has to be the first time I've ever heard the Warriors referenced in anything. Yeah. Yeah, with the bottles clinking and... Douglas! Come out to play! Like, I've never heard the Warriors referenced in anything until this. And then later on, they get referenced other times and other places. Yeah, yeah, especially ABK later on. Yeah. But here's a line I really love in Kiss the Clown. Then you'd be fucked up if that was really voodoo. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And then we go into Beverly Kills. Stop the bus. Final J comes up. Barrels to your face. And blow your fucking face. They either really love Beverly Hills 90210 or they really hate Beverly Hills 90210. I was kind of thinking that too. They must have been pretty damn aware because they got the main cast of characters by name. I wrote so fucking 90s. It really is. I see why this one just doesn't get much love from them nowadays because, you know, they tried to reboot this show, which would have been a great opportunity for them, but it didn't work. Newer Juggalos and ICP fans wouldn't fucking understand it. I mean, it would have been even funnier if on the next DP, it was about murdering the entire cast of Melrose Place. <laughs> that that would have been funny. Very interesting sample of Sugar Sugar. Yeah. Hey, you want to see it? Hey, uh, here, bitch. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Hey, uh, here, have a closer look. Really strange and kind of nightmare inducing. A little bit. A bit yeah. The the Archie slowed down, man. That'll fuck you up. I wrote, here's another song that's technically about killing people at school. But but I think this one like kind of barely counts since it's really more about the show. Yeah. And the school was a part of the show. It's not so much about a person at a school going to school and killing everyone. It's no, no, I'm going to this high school to kill these people. Right. It's still technically it's at a school. So, you know, we'll throw it in there. I love the line. (laughs) And you could kind of tell, like, you know, the lines beforehand, it seemed like he was going into something, but then he just ends it with that. Which is hilarious. And maybe that's an example of Shaggy not being super prepared for this uh, recording. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. When that beat hit for Jay, you know what I'm saying? Which again, very 90s thing where like you change up the reverb in your voice and you're under this like different beat. When Jay came on, you know, he was talking about. It's a dream that I had. Maybe when I was drunk, maybe when I wasn't. Let's get into it. And then it goes for Shags and he's just like, well, fuck these people. It's like, yeah. How how does that relate to you feeling like you're already in hell? I got a couple lines I love here. Kelly, Kelly, your netting's kind of smelly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. How could you not? I love it. This one's interesting. Okay, because I'm not a rape buff. So they've drawn a line here. Yeah. 
it's it's interesting. It really is because like for the first time on record, they're talking about an actual like morality line. You know, yeah. Because I mean, they don't really. I mean, unless you're a dead body, they don't really talk about doing that to people. Right. Exactly. So it's it's interesting that they firmly draw that line in the sand here. Yeah. I'm. I like it. I'm for it. Because especially, I think it helps balance out some of their rather dated language in this song. Yes. Referencing back to the interview on No Jumper, I don't think it exactly came from a place of hatred as much as misunderstanding. And obviously, you know, if you listen to him talk about that now, he's not okay with that now. And I think he's not okay with that being part of his past. Well, I mean, they were also teenagers at the time. Or right. at least just getting into their 20s. I think he he understands it's it's like an indefensible part of their past. Yeah. I think he's okay with owning it, which is which is exactly what all adults should do with mistakes. Yes. Own it and understand why what you did is wrong. Yeah. There you, you go. You asked a couple weeks ago, what could they do to possibly get canceled at this point? And that's a great question because they've said so much and the stuff that's reprehensible, they've already pointed out and have said, you're right. We weren't correct when we said this. Yes, they get ahead of it. They get ahead of a a potential cancellation because they take ownership for things they said that they know they were in the wrong about. It's really great to see that as somebody who's like really grown up a step behind these dudes. And to see how maturity has hit them and how it parallels my own life. Let's all be honest to ourselves. Growing up, we've all said reprehensible shit. If you claim that you haven't, you're straight up just lying. You're just lying or you're not remembering. Absolutely. Everybody said something that by all means is just terrible. Yeah, especially modern context. Yeah. And they regret it. It haunts you or you block it out. (laughs) It's, It's kind of funny to think, but like, for all the fear surrounding what the f- and hatred surrounding what the fuck they do and did, they're surprisingly humble and positive influences. If you look at their actual conduct, not just what they say in their music, especially the older they've gotten and the the more they've grown to understand their place in the world and shit, you know? Yeah, because, you know, they realize, especially in the last 20 years, they see that there are kids, literal children that look up to them. I mean, we were two of them. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, they realize that and they realize that that's a responsibility that needs to be taken seriously. It's great to see, especially as we look back on these older releases, them really taking ownership for all of it. The one other thing about the No Jumper interview I really wanted to touch on real quick. I know it's uh, we already got onto the album, but uh, was they talked about very poignantly the mental health aspect of what they were doing. And that kind of plays into what I was saying about them being very avant-garde and ahead of their time is the way they address mental health. It's very blunt and in your face, but that's how it needed to be addressed at that time. There wasn't room for subtlety. And the thing is, like, especially, you know, you look at people who were talking about, you know, life on the streets back then, they definitely weren't subtle about it. But they were subtle about the points on where mental illness is a part of that. Yeah. And I think 
they definitely made a contribution to helping bring the necessity of that conversation to light. And so it was great to see somebody else give due credit in that regard, because I think it's so, so absolutely true that they spoke about mental health at a time and in a way that other people just weren't. And I think that's a a big reason why, you know, people like you and I were so connected to and drawn to this music when we were younger. The thing also was that they weren't making fun of it. They were having fun with it, with the concepts and where they could take it and whatnot, but they weren't taunting people with mental health issues. No, it was more like, it always felt more to me like, we know how you feel. We understand. And that's what made it so like, to me, I would come home from school and just listen to their music to the point where it was like the music was a friend because it it understood the way I felt, you know? I think it was great to see them getting recognition on that front. Anyway, last thing I had a good note about here on uh, (laughs) Beverly Kills. You ready for this one? Yeah. Both my legs, so I'm running out my hands. Then I seen Prince, so I clap because I'm a big fan. And straight busted my face on the street. And here come the police. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, that calls back to this being a dream, obviously. Because you think, to, I mean, yes, you know, they're a bit fantastical, but we also mentioned a lot of the fantastical stuff didn't come to play a lot. Sometimes it did, but it didn't as much as it did later on. And you could probably listen to this the first time and be like, what the fuck? Oh, it's a dream. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is like really, I think the first time they lean so heavily into pop culture, like a pop culture reference. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing they really refine it later on and polish it and get it right i don't think they had it 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 was a little too raw here yeah so i think later on they definitely get it right with like things that are super pop culture focused and this would be the beginning of us realizing that violent jay is a huge fan of both prince and michael jackson of course Got any other notes on this one, Dingo? No, that's it. All right. So next up, 17 Dead. 17 Dead. Classic. Yeah. This this was a good one. He does stumble sometimes in this song, but it's like kind of a precursor to dead body man a little bit kind of to me i was picking up on a lot of the key points of carnival of carnage there's a lot of the same messages being driven home in this one but it's kind of in a different conduit so it's an interesting repackaging basically yeah and 17 is gonna come up a lot well we know why that is For those who don't, why don't you tell them? Sure. So as the story goes, and this is the reason that 17 isn't a thing until this release in particular, not Carnival of Carnage, is because on Carnival of Carnage release date, it sold 17 copies. And 15 of them were probably them buying up their own copies. Sounds about right. (laughs) But, you know, that's how you do when you start off. 
Yep. Yep. But 17 is a big recurring theme in the Insane Clown Posse's music. Anytime I, there's a number that comes up, 17 the first one. I mean, and for anybody, you know, I mean, a number like that would be important. Like if you're growing, it's your, absolutely it's the first release of your first album that you got on store shelves. I mean, I'm not saying that they probably didn't get like dog beats up on store shelves. They probably did, but it probably didn't sell anything. Unlikely. Less than 17 copies. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, this is their first release of their rebranding. So it's their first actual release. They're putting everything out on the table. First day it sold 17. That's actually not bad, really. Yeah, no, it's. Pretty good for being a first album, pretty much as a brand new group. Yeah. Nobody's really heard anything of or anything like that. So um, I feel like this song could have been on Carnival of Carnage, actually. This song needed a lot of polish. Well, okay. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of delay on Jay's overdub, like too much. Yeah. It's kind of distracting. This would have needed a lot of polish, not just in the audio department, but also a bit of a rewrite couldn't hurt as well. Maybe, but there's some good shit in here, man. Should I burn the rebel flag or the red, white, and blue too? Poignant. Poignant yeah. commentary. Along with, uh, there's some talk about white flight in here, which is really well informed. Yeah, something especially white rappers weren't talking about. Yeah, no, I mean, so that's why I'm feeling like there's a lot that fits so well with Carnival of Carnage on here, you know? So maybe it was some stuff he had rattling around his brain left over from Carnival of Carnage. And he just had to put it out because it was too late. It was on store shelves. There's some really good commentary in there. I love that little rhyme bit at the end. Well, you know, Volunteer's kind of wicked. If there's a bugger in my nose, I'ma pick it and flick it in your eye like you ain't jack. And stop my boots on your nutsack. It kind of reminds me of like an Afro Man track. (laughs) (laughs) You think they were trying to freestyle like that while coming up with shit? Maybe. I feel like maybe it was just leftover beats from Carnival of Carnage and they're like, well, we can just have some fun with them. (laughs) Yeah. You got anything else on 17 Dead? Nah, that's it. All right, the stalker. Fucking terrifying. Jesus. Goddamn Christ. Yes. This song, just like every other song on this album, needs a lot of polish. This one is like, ooh, just like gross and creepy. Yeah, what a line. <laughs> There's some uh, some good lines in there I really like. And I also got to say, for being so like, I mean, obviously it was inspired by real life, but not him doing it. Yeah. It was definitely good to have, you know, the upcomings at the end to give the narrative the completion. And then, of course, at the end, when Violent J's just like, no, man, I don't think she liked me, man. Shot me in the fucking head, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, hey, that peanut butter sucks. You wouldn't like Jiffy, it ain't got no nuts. Ah, I love that line. Now, I was a bit surprised that those real voicemails 
are still on this album, like on the version that's on Spotify today. Yeah, and the national release of the CD still has that dude's picture on the CD. That is so, some crazy shit. I mean, I understand Violent J probably ain't going to be calling the cops. Um, yeah, I doubt some it. Some motherfuckers like stalking, but to just straight up put dude's business out publicly like that, man, that is savage. I can only guess that back then, neither of them had lawyers, and so that was the best way to settle the score in Jay's mind. And really, either this dude never heard it, or he did hear it, and he's not taking any action because he's dead. Yep. This dude's probably not alive anymore. Dear sir, the person you are calling is dead. <laughs> I think this may maybe have would have gotten resolved, but I don't think this guy's alive anymore. If his family were going to, I don't think they have heard it or even care. Yeah, I doubt it. Got anything else on the stalker? Nah, that's it. All right. In the ha. In the ha. In the ha. In the ha. I've been motherfucking ha. Intro here has some uh, dated language in it. Yep. Which is, I mean, kind of to be expected from a rap group in 1993. Yep. And aside from that, also just a little bit odd. Didn't really fit what they do to me. Yeah. I mean, the beat was cool. It was a cool bass line and stuff. Really needed polish. Fucking Shaggy 2 Dope had nothing ready for this song. Obviously not. He quite literally says, I don't know, man. Fuck off. As if Violent J's like urging him on like, man, motherfucker, rap about something. It's like, I don't know, man. Fuck off. My mind ain't nothing but a lemon. But I mean, it's fucking yelling shit. <laughs> yeah, was he, was, he was totally not ready for that day. Him just kind of going off on his own thing at the end is also pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like screaming about like nothing. <laughs> Which would, you know, prepare him for Ringmaster. Yeah, I think maybe that's when he was warming up. Maybe this is what inspired Get Off Me Dog. Perhaps. I gotta hear uh, Greasy can moonwalk, but he won't. So fuck him. <laughs> Well, I guess that shit was so fucking played out in 1993. Yeah. Now, one great fucking line from Jay. How you see me is what you get. That's great. It is. I think that's the thesis statement of the carnival in one line. Yeah. He probably wanted to fit that in somewhere on Carnival of Carnage, but it didn't fit. Yeah, maybe maybe this album was like the original Forgotten Freshness. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you know, Intergalactic by the Beastie Boys, that song took the form of three different unreleased songs before it was released in 1997. Well, like, they I mean, just couldn't... Per- perfection takes time. Yeah, they, they just couldn't figure out a way to fit it in to what they were doing. And I think that's kind of the same thing as what's going on here. It's like, this is 
supposed to be the continuation of Carnival of Carnage. The only thing is, they don't have $6,000, and they only have two weeks to get it put together. I don't think they're big on, like, demoing songs. Yeah. I don't think that's really a thing they do much. No. No, it's like you go into the studio and then you do it. Right. I think I think they come up with their shit and then they just record it. I don't think they like have tracks that they're working on for three, four years. So it's like, all right, we're trying to get it just right and yeah. Well maybe this verse from this one and do the uh, the tempo a little higher, try a different beat, and then oh look at this shit. Okay. Well, then you got things like the clown love wagon wagon thing where they made a whole song and then they were like, nah, fuck it. This doesn't fit. We got to write another one. And then they just start from like square one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's just them making a decision. Like, Nope, this one's not going to work. Not like, Oh, we've been working on this one. Cause it's not like they ever tried clown love on some other beat. You know what I mean? It's not like it came back years later perfected, you know? Yeah. In the ha, Greasy, that's, uh, that's a rough rough feature. Yeah, they had a lot of rough features back then. Sure thing. Glad they kind of stopped doing that shit. Except for one song on Yum Yum Bedlam. Well, <laughs> I mean, I said kind of. I mean, you're I'm, getting ahead of yourself, I'm, Dingo. No, I'm getting behind myself. There's a difference. That sounds very personal. Hey, don't be asking too many questions, Zach. I don't ask about your personal life when you don't do this show. Good. <laughs> I mean, I know too much already. I don't, I don't need, need to know knowing, more. I don't need you knowing anything about my personal <laughs> life, Dingo. <laughs> You're like, I finally got your social security number. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, you wouldn't give it to me. I had to find other ways. Damn. I touched everything in your house. <laughs> you got anything else on in the ha? Huh? Nah, that's it. <laughs> in the nah. <laughs> <laughs> chop, chop. Okay, real quick. I called this before. This is the first time we hear Juggalo. <laughs> okay, you did. You did, but this is the first time in Shut up, man. You had to go ahead and say on Ringmaster, this is the first time they say Juggalo. And I'm like, well, you might eat your words if <laughs> when we get to Beverly Kills. <laughs> ah, I was And then you said you said, well, if that happens, I'm going to look stupid. <laughs> Okay, all right. Listen, in my defense, I knew, but I didn't care because I wanted to say something cool. Yeah, yeah. That that sounds like a dingo a save attempt. Yeah, and 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 you know, it worked, right? Swing and a miss there, dingo. <laughs> You know what? You know what? Let's bring it up to the audience. Do I look stupid or not? Contact us. I don't know if we should ask that question. <laughs> I'm right. afraid of what they say about me. <laughs> Dingo looks a little bit stupid, but Zach is a real asshole. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I still listen to this fucking show. <laughs> 
they kept rattling on for 45 minutes about some interview on youtube so uh anything else on in the ha in the now that's right we already moved on because chop yeah. chop is the first time we hear juggalo and you look stupid for <laughs> <laughs> saying it was on ringmaster all right all right all right i said what i said and i'm sticking by it sure sure so uh production is odd it's like there's like a there's like an organ thing during the verses that like fades up but it ends up getting hotter than the vocals which is annoying it's it's odd. weird i think the best production on this song comes from the chorus honestly like i really like that chorus yeah the chorus is good although when they bring the bass in with that beat it's so much low end it's like mud yeah it leaves something to be desired yeah there uh you got anything else on chop chop nah that's it for sure uh joke your mind i only wrote one note this song is way too long i could see that i still do think it's one of their better songs though it is it is but at the end it goes on for way too long yeah i could see that you know i think um jump steady's cover kind of perfected this song yeah i agree you know a little bit of a higher budget for production and some restructuring a little bit but i think that also proves to the quality of the song yes it had a good idea it's just the execution was not as stellar as it could have been which is really a lot of this album a lot of this album had some good ideas mostly coming from jay because shaggy did not prepare jay had a lot of really good ideas but a lot of times it ended up getting muddled because of the production i think this needs to be brought up again for carnival of carnage they spent six thousand dollars six thousand fucking dollars and that's in 1991 or two yes which is probably more in the area of like 1.5 times if not two times that now exactly so when violent j wanted to go back into the studio because he saw carnival of carnage flying off the shelves and violent j was like i have this notebook full of ideas that didn't fit on the album i want to do some more recording mikey clark probably gave him the budget suite you know what i'm saying like all right i'll mix it i'll do the beat but we ain't mastering this shit because you don't have the budget for it i don't know the mix down doesn't even really sound that good that's why i'm saying like the budget's sweet you know yeah i feel like they maybe didn't even get a mix down he's like all right i got some beat ideas and they're like perfect and i can record the vocals and they're like that's great which yeah i mean when you spent six thousand dollars on something and then you want to keep going but you have no money for it you're going cheap they spent more than six thousand by the way you know yeah but six thousand was just the production budget yeah because they had to print some fucking copies and shit too maybe that explains why everything is just hand drawn by shags didn't it didn't look like it was made at a staples i'll say that much no but so i mean it's surprisingly high quality for what they were working with yeah but uh you got any other notes man uh i like how the bonus track 
at the end of this song is the ending of the stalker but just the instrumental yeah it's a cool instrumental it really is and it's good that they put the instrumental for it at the ending so in case somebody wanted to make a remix or something or they wanted to do a remix boom it's right there yeah kind of creepy ominous i dig that the outro but yeah outside of that like i said there's really not much to say about this album this comes off as violent j being like i want to make something now and then them doing it and him roping his friends into it despite the fact that they're not prepared even though he is totally prepared yeah as prepared as he could have been hey it's a forgotten part of their catalog i'll say that certainly doesn't get the same kind of love that terror wheel or tunnel of love get i was just about to say their eps get better over time especially terror wheel which is my favorite of their eps i love terror wheel i think i like tunnel of love the best i don't like tunnel of love how could you not like tunnel of love i just it just didn't resonate with me i mean i thought okay you're getting ahead of yourself sack well you're right about that Let's leave Tunnel of Love for Tunnel of Love. Yes, and then let's go to the better one next week. I'm not going to agree with that, but yes, we'll move <laughs> on to the Terror Wheel next week. This will be uh, one of the last times that you hear Violent J doing the announcer voice before Legs Diamond takes over. Yeah, which is a good a good shift. Yeah. I guess that's it for Beverly Kills. We're putting a, a wrap on this one. Yeah. And the thing is that, like, if you enjoyed Beverly Kills, you know, don't take offense to us, like, it not resonating with us and us not having much to say about it. You know, like what you like. Hey, I made more positive notes than you did, Dingo. I'd say it's pretty equal. If anything, you just tried to make me look like an asshole. Outside of that, I'd say it's pretty 50-50. Hey, we both do a great job making ourselves look like assholes. That's true. But it's not that I don't enjoy this album. I don't listen to it as much because, yeah, it's just not one of my faves. I actually had the chorus for Chop Chop as my ringtone about 10 years ago. <laughs> ringtone. <laughs> but mind you, just just the chorus. Yeah, that that could be cool. My phone would ring and the people around me would be like, what the fuck is that? Like, oh, it's the insane clown posse. And they'd be like, what? Okay. And then either walk away from me or just give me weird looks. And then you pick up the phone like, what's up, motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Redneck Fatball speaking. (laughs) This is Dropkick Dingo. How can I help you? (laughs) (laughs) DJ Sugarsack at your service. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Well, um, shit, that was fun. I'm looking forward to doing Terror Wheel. Yeah. Uh, when you're doing the shout outs, don't forget all the shit that's changed in the last 72 hours. Yeah, yeah. I know we have a different tag on Twitter now, a different handle. So uh, thank you for listening. Now you should get in touch with us. Let us know how you like the show or what you don't like about the show or how much I'm an asshole or how dumb Dingo looks, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Email us at show at gmail.com or tweet at us. That's where the real complaints should be sent at ICPodcastShow.
Dingo claimed that new Twitter handle for us, and that's a pretty cool one. Yeah, and we also have a link tree, so you have a one-stop shop to uh, listen to our nonsense and tweet at us about how you don't like us. Exactly. Or maybe you do, in which case, hey, hit the follow. And for those of you listening on podcasting apps that aren't SoundCloud, although it would help there too, yeah, no matter where you're listening... Give us the like, give us the heart, give us the repost, give us a good review. Whatever you can do to interact with the podcast on whatever app you use to listen to it, it helps us out a bunch and we appreciate it. Hell yeah. Make sure you're subscribed or following us on whatever app you're using to listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode because we're putting them out every week, every Monday. You know uh, we'll be here and that's pretty much all we got. You got anything else, Dingo? Nah, that's it. Let's head it out. Fucking right. He's Dropkick Dingo. And he's DJ Sugarsack. And this is the Insane Clown Podcast. Peace! Peace!